Hello, I'm Carmen Colosi, Stratford Latin America Analyst at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by Stratford Worldview, RAIN's premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analyses. Sign up for the free Stratford newsletter at worldview.stratford.com. is aware of the fact that you cannot escape the economic dealings with the Chinese so but definitely it's more skeptical than ever because of the way China and Pakistan are entering into the strategic embrace Welcome to Baker's Dozen a podcast series about geopolitics from Stratfor a rain company I'm your host Roger Baker India has long been a regional power center by default But now the country is facing new challenges as China expands its interests across land and sea in India's near abroad. Since independence from the British Empire, India has struggled with the dual concept of remaining anti-imperial and non-aligned and its own strategic interests in the broader Indian Ocean region. Shifts in the global geopolitical order have influenced India's strategic thinking over time, opening opportunities and imposing limitations. To look at the evolution of Indian strategic thought and its geopolitical context, I'm joined here today by Pratik Joshi. He's a DPhil candidate in modern history from Oxford, looking into the intellectual history of the idea of India. Pratik, thank you for joining me here today. Thank you so much, Roger, for the opportunity. Thank you so much. So when we think about this idea of, as, as you talk about it, the idea of India and the way that India thinks about India, that, that is a geopolitical perspective. It's looking both inside out and outside in. And if we start today, um, there is this perception from the outside of uh, India under Prime Minister Modi as a, a very nationalist entity, an entity that's having to really rethink the way it looks at non-alignment because of this pressure from China. And recently we've had, for example, the expanded quad meetings, um, India looking to draw in tighter relations with Australia, with Japan, with the United States. How does the the Modi geopolitical view um, compare to some of the things that we've seen in the past? Uh, so... Uh, to begin uh, the answer, the victory of of Modi, the BJP, was possible as as much as domestic factors were at play, especially corruption charges on the previous uh, political party, the Congress. It was also foreign policy which uh, became a, a hot issue, uh, a hot electoral issue, because Modi, when campaigning uh, in in two thousand fourteen. One of the pillars on which he campaigned was that the previous regimes had been very loose, had been uh, lax towards uh, China especially and Pakistan. And uh, the BJP was able to trace some of these accusations way back to the way Nehru thought about India and the way Nehru engaged with Pakistan and China. So... When the Congress party was uh, at its uh, lowest in, in the pre-2014 phase, the preceding 3-4 years, 
that's when uh, foreign policy narratives also kicking and people are convinced that hey we did not stand up to the chinese we did not stand up to the pakistanis we were actually somewhat uh, playing uh, a second fiddle uh, in the region and that's where we need a new leadership and that's where modi offered a new alternative approach now he has demonstrated some of uh, some of this uh, what he promised in 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 the way he has designed his policies especially vis-a-vis uh, pakistan if you see the surgical strikes or the way you see they have faced uh, the recent uh, duels with the chinese now one may not know the exact mechanics of what's happened uh, on the ground uh, you know on a very clear basis but the optics of it definitely show that this government has attempted to change the status quo which uh there is a perception that the previous governments uh, especially the congress were uh, very scared to change and this is where modi draws his legitimacy and this is also uh, an interesting time where foreign policy which uh, w- which was more or less a very i would say fourth important or fifth important or even a no issue but that's where foreign policy becomes a key parameter on which Indian elections have to be fought. So what I'm trying to say is, Modi has to do something or has to appear to be doing something which is which marks a shift from the optics of what happened in the last times. When we look at that, then there you seem to identify two dynamics of India. There's an inward-looking India, um, and there's this at least attempt to appear to be an outward-looking India. is that driven more by internal dynamics or is that because of changing patterns around india's periphery uh, for example we've seen the expansion of chinese activity or uh the changes in the cold war architecture uh or, or the post cold war period how much do these external geopolitical forces play in shaping that internal thinking in india so it was i think uh, in the last decade or so from what i recall is uh latter years of the last uh, you know the 2000 to 2010 decade it's after 2006 7 onwards you have these new concepts which come up like the string of pearls or these these different concepts and a gradual uh, entry of the belt and road which uh, came through different uh, names uh, in in those years before it was uh, formally launched and that's where there is a feeling that chinese are about to play a role in india's uh, region and india does consider south asia as its own uh, i wouldn't say a strategic backyard but definitely region where it definitely where it uh, does not want any intervention especially by the chinese and the whole fear gets uh, amplified when the chinese are seen to be collaborating fantastically with the pakistanis now this 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 uh, collaboration is uh, such a dreaded thing in in the indian thinking that uh, somewhere down the line uh, these fears came to uh, dominate the strategic thinking uh, in the indian foreign policy establishment so yes one is this and adding to that there is a long uh, say running thing which is the politics of uh, the the ideas of the bjp itself so by the way bjp's precursor party which was called the janasangh uh, the founding father of the bjp and the associated ideologues 
they started identifying china as threats and even pakistan as threats because they they somewhere felt that uh, nehru was being uh, unfair nehru was trying to uh, uh, soft pedal these powers so that's this whole seven decade thing uh, and when the bjp wins their elect- its elections that's where they this this whole seven decade old thinking it feeds back into the region which we see today and that's propelling uh, the bjp's ideas so let's go back to um nehru what were the what were the ideas and the way in which india perceived uh, its role and how india was perceived from the outside at that time um so that we can kind of understand this change in difference over time uh let's begin with the fact that uh, when nehru was cogitating when nehru was throwing his ideas when he was projecting his ideas there were not many people who were uh, of that uh, say who were that much well read i would say because he was as indian as much he was an englishman thoroughly trained in both uh, you know he was socialized in both the british and the indian uh, i would say uh, customs or how would i say uh, you know in in both ways and he had uh, excellent exposure so he had been traveling uh, since uh, you know his his uh, college days uh, in in cambridge haro cambridge and then he travels to all these peace conferences uh, the famous brussels conference now he starts talking on foreign policy at a time when not many people in the congress are doing it and when india becomes independent and even when there is this uh, interim government months before the independence he is not only the head of the interim government but he's also the external affairs minister so you have a statesman who's both external affairs minister and the prime minister which means he wants he's looking at both outside in and inside out and india for him is more or more like a sacred geography i mean that's a thought which has pervaded it's not necessarily uh, you know nehru's copyright but then where i see nehru being uh, quite uh, instrumental is that when transfer of power takes place when the congress leadership uh, negotiates the terms of transfer of power with the british uh, and nehru being the person who's at the forefront of all these things what i see is he's trying to uh, you know operationalize this whole idea of sacred geography into a political legal idea that's where i think i trace this whole uh, inception of india and why i'm saying it because he conceives india as uh, you know a civilization which has unfortunately turned into a nation state but then the nation state should not stop thinking about the civilization and that's why he's talking about tibet he's talking about southeast asia he's talking about persia he does not stop at india uh, and given a chance he would have wanted uh, india to be a nation state plus the civilizational uh, you know expansionist kind of an idea which he, he he had in mind now the dynamics of the cold war did change things you have the chinese communist revolution you have the pakistanis contesting kashmir or you have the cold war which totally uh, you know reconfigures southeast asia you know what's happening in malaysia or indonesia uh, or or vietnam so there's a terrible terrible cold war uh, say infiltration in these areas and that stops nehru from uh, say uh, operationalizing his ideas but i would still say uh, he wanted something more than a nation state but at the same time he cannot do that because of the limitations of uh, a nascent indian state as well as cold war being a threatening 
thing and the best thing is to keep out how does the how does the idea of uh non-alignment as a primary policy of india come into play in this is this driven by the constraints on india is it influenced by post-colonialism because it seems to ultimately have an impact on the fulfillment of maybe that deeper strategic thinking of Nehru versus what uh, ultimately happens uh, in regards to India's um, uh, largely lack of expansion? So uh, Second World War onwards, uh, we see Nehru being extremely vocal about whether India wants to participate in the war, what India should do, and what actually goes against Congress is that this condition which the Congress puts in front of the British that uh, we will not support you till you give us some uh, autonomy closer to independence. Uh, leave India and then we'll support your efforts in the war. And that's where Nehru is writing that uh, post-independence India should not be uh, allying itself with any of the power blocks because once you ally with someone and somewhere down the line Geopolitics for Nehru is a synonym for imperialism and he feels that if we ally with any of these powers that automatically uh, impinges uh, or, or uh, you know hinders India's uh, independent India's uh, foreign policy and uh, why non-alignment becomes very important is that for Nehru, uh, you know, Roger, sovereignty can have many different definitions and sovereignty has different uh, ordering principles. Some are fine with, say, a domestic form of sovereignty, some are, although it's a, it's a, it's a you know, a whole. But what I see Nehru is, uh, he prioritizing foreign policy as the first benchmark of sovereignty. So he says sovereignty is when India is able to carry out its foreign policy and that starts coming up. Uh, by the late 1930s. So non-alignment predates independence, but at the same time, uh, non-alignment when it comes to be uh, enacted, he wants India to extract both from the Americans and uh, the Soviets at the same time. So it's a good bargaining position. Uh, although the Americans called it hypocrisy, but you see he's at the same time, he's engaging with the Canadians for an atomic program. He's a part of the Atoms for Peace program, but at the same time, he is getting something from uh, the British, he's getting something from the Soviets. So he's using non-alignment to stay out from the power politics, stay out of the power politics, yet at the same time, uh, you know, engaging with the three, the two power blocks uh, on on uh, basis of a parity. There's frequent comparisons between uh, India and China. You know, they both emerge at the same time. They both um, uh, have are, are seen as having a tremendous amount of potential. Uh, you know, as you talk about, India ultimately pursues a non-aligned policy. China, in many ways, at least asserts that it pursues a non-aligned policy, that it doesn't want to be a, a, a formal block partner or at least not make alliances against a third party. Though we see China pursue a much more um, activist foreign policy during the Maoist era, a quieter policy during the 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 Dung era and the post Dung era, and now reemerging into this uh, activist and and outreaching foreign policy today. Um, not as much in India. India seems to still be playing more in a defensive position. Is that a, a pattern that we expect to continue seeing in India, or are we seeing a real 
evolution in Indian strategic thought or the capability of applying strategic thought? Yeah, I what I'll say is China not being a democracy in a sense that there's no onus on the Chinese to be answerable to their own people, which means there is a continuum of, of a policy, or for that matter in Pakistan as well. If the Pakistani army has to do something on Kashmir or if the Chinese have to do something in the region, they'll do it irrespective of what the public opinion. There are no elections uh, in China or in Pakistan, the army will call the shots. Unlike that, India is very uh, vulnerable to uh, domestic political pressure, something which Nehru faced in 1962 when he had decided. Uh, uh, so, so that the domestic political pressure was so much, uh, uh, you know, so serious. And Nehru had never seen uh, 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 an opposition which was so hostile that he had to shift the policy towards a bit of an aggressive uh, posturing towards the Chinese. And that's what spins the tables. Or for that matter, if you see what happens in Modi's time that you have to do a surgical strike because there's so much of public anger. So what I'm trying to say is strategy in, in India uh, is, yes, there have been thinkers like K. Subramaniam who have uh you know immense contribution to the nuclear doctrine or we have uh different military strategists who have their own roles but the but but saying that their thoughts the thoughts of the leading foreign policy thinkers would automatically translate into a strategy is something i don't argue on it's definitely a product of uh some thoughts but as well as uh you know uh say uh responses which may be uh impromptu to, to the emerging situation and also a combination of domestic political pressures. So that's how I uh, uh, say uh, define and adding uh, the corollary is post 91 reforms when India opened up to the American markets, when Indian nuclear program uh, draw so much criticism from the American circles. But in the end, India used that nuclear program to negotiate with Americans for a better, for a status to be accepted among uh, the leading nuclear powers. So what I'm saying is India did not plan from day one to do all these things. But yes, circumstances and things changed that it found itself uh, pushed in that way. But at the it, same um, time, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it makes me think of, um, uh, to paraphrase Mackinder, where, where he raises in, in 1919, he effectively says, democracies refuse to think strategically unless they're compelled to by outside forces. And this seems to be the position that you're raising in India, that that it's the, it's the geopolitical context that ultimately um, those pressures can compel India to think and act strategically, or they can allow India the, the luxury of not thinking strategically. Um, and, and in those down periods, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that other people aren't doing things um, and I'll add a small thing to it. That. I'll add a very small thing to it, uh, which is uh, adding to uh, this interesting point you raise. India, in, in say in the Nehruvian times, you see India never engaged publicly with uh, Israel, and this is something uh, I got to know when I was reading the archives. Uh, Nehru was so fearful of uh, the Muslim population in India reacting against uh, any dealings with Israel that. India did not uh, say uh, engage with Israel on on the on the terms Israelis wanted to. So this is one out of different examples. So 
China now appears to be exerting that external pressure, whether that's, you know, intentional that China wants to contain India or whether it's just the the natural expansion of China in its economic capacity, um, that that's happening. So that seems to be one of these drivers that's shaping it. As we look forward over the next five or 10 years, how do you anticipate um, this Indian strategic thought uh, developing? And does it at any point force India to rethink this concept of non-alignment? I think non-alignment has not really been a thing in the last 10 years because if you see the last couple of summits, uh, there have been no high-profile representations uh, to India, uh, to to the non-alignment movement summits. So definitely uh, post-91, I can say, uh, India has not really been committed to, to this whole idea. But at the same time, uh, you can say that uh, its close engagement with the Americans uh, also does not mean that it will stop engaging with the Russia as much as the Americans want India to because of the old ties, the Indian military hardware being of, of the Russian make. And so you have those things. Uh, but non-alignment is definitely, I would say, and that also does not go with uh, this uh, the, the the BJP or the Modi's way of doing things. They have not really been uh, very much welcoming of this idea. And why I'm saying it because the whole foreign policy orientation of this regime, especially which identifies itself with the right wing, has been uh, you know breaking those edifices which are believed to be Nehruvian constructs, be it non-alignment, being policies with Pakistan or China. So that's where non-alignment is understood as a Nehruvian thought and the BJP would absolutely love to demolish it. Uh, coming to the China front, I can say that uh, India is aware of the fact that you cannot escape the economic dealings with the Chinese. So if you see what's happening now, economic relationships are more or less, uh, they're going on and India cannot risk snapping those. But definitely... It's more skeptical than ever because of the way China and Pakistan are entering into the strategic embrace, uh, the kind of affinities, the kind of uh, organic institutionalized relationships that have evolved between the Pakistani army and, and the PLA or, or the broader Chinese establishment. This is something the Indians are extremely, extremely uh, wary of and that is animating the entire Indian policy making. But... Uh, I can say that economic, uh, economy-wise, uh, there will be a normalized things. But yes, on the strategic front, there will be confrontations. Uh, but what stops things from escalating too much is there is, whatever may be the case, there is some sort of understanding on the border, which has been existing at least for the past uh, three decades uh, since the Rajiv Gandhi's times that uh, you will not escalate. You may beat up each other, you may outbox each other, but you may box each other, but you will not escalate to a point that it turns into a armed duel. So that's something, that's the cap. But at the same time, on the strategic front, India will be entering into alliances. The Americans are definitely pushing Indians to up the game. Uh, this is what I'm hearing. And they're not happy with the present state of engagement 
but this is this also marks i would say the limits unless the chinese do something on the borders which is which goes beyond uh, the terms of you know the game on the borders well and that that i think puts us at a point i know i know we could go on a lot of issues on the border issues and and looking at the the implications for the powers stuck in between like like nepal and bhutan but i think we've pushed to the end of our time today i want to uh Thank you. We've been speaking today with Pratik Joshi, a DPhil candidate in modern history at Oxford. I want to thank you for your time today, Pratik. Thank you. Thank you so much for such a wonderful discussion, Roger. Thank you so much. You can stay up to date on the latest geopolitical developments by signing up for our free newsletter. Visit worldview.stratfor.com. That's worldview.stratfor.com. I'm Roger Baker, and thank you for listening.